and welcome to another Record Celtic podcast. My name is Daniel Corn. I'm delighted to be joined by Record Sports, Michael Gannon and Graham Young. Guys, how are you? Season's greetings, guys. <laughs> All Graham, good, mate. Yeah, very well. How are you? Very good, thanks. I, I'm pleased to see Mick has came dressed for the occasion. Reindeer Christmas jumper on, looking good. My Rudolph jumper on, yeah. I mean, try to stay in Santa's nice list. Fighting a losing battle, I think, unfortunately. <laughs> a bit like last week, I thought we should maybe start with uh, a little World Cup update. Have you, have you guys been finding it? I, I was talking to you earlier, Graham, and I, I definitely think it's, it's just so weird with it being this time of year. And I don't know, it doesn't really feel like a World Cup. No, I think it's been. I think it's been. I mean, to be honest, with you, at the start of it, I was a bit lukewarm, but then I must have might have got right into it. But once I got by the group stages, the knockouts have been really dramatic and good fun. That is weird. It's weird watching the World Cup with the Christmas tree in the background, isn't it? Aye, it's um, weird, eh? I feel quite right. But I thought that I thought the the Argentina semi final gave us the 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 moment of the World Cup. I think now every World Cup's got a moment that you remember that World Cup for, whether it's Zidane's headbutt in two thousand six or Maradona's handball. You know, I think I think the Argentina semi-final, Messi's um, assist for the third goal is going to be the moment of the World Cup. It might be the moment that led to Messi winning the World Cup, or it might be the moment that led to Messi just missing out the World Cup. But I think that was that was the moment. It was a a global figure doing something really spectacular on the biggest of stages. That that's given us our our Qatar defining moment. I think so. I, that was that was good to see, wasn't it? I thought the Holland game was great as well. Holland Argentina like come back and stuff. Um, and Morocco, Morocco, we should mention as well. I mean, it's mad to think we're recording this before they play France in the semi final. Nobody scored against Morocco, they've conceded one goal and it was an own goal. That's mad, that's absolutely insane when you think about it. I think it's Aye. one of these underdogs that if you, if you didn't if you didn't know they were underdogs, you wouldn't know. Like, they're well, they're just brilliant, they're, they're excellent. It says this before a 4 0 France win and Mbappe hat trick, but. Um, no, they're really well organised. Good team, like, and everyone goes on about um, like Greece as well. Like, they are actually quite similar. Actually, Greece weren't even that mega with that team in two thousand four. I'm showing my age here, but they were obviously well organised. But they always had a goal threat. And Morocco seems similar, so mm. uh, aye, it's been good. It's been good fun, enjoyable watch. I don't like I don't like underdogs doing too well in, in these tournaments. I must admit, I like them doing well enough. I like them getting the odd win in the group stages. But I don't. I know maybe the odd kind of last sixteen or something like that. I don't like seeing the underdogs getting all the way to this stage. It does my head in. Um, I mean, Croatia <laughs> get to the semi-finals, having won one game. They beat Canada. And that was only in the one. They're boring their way to the last four. And Morocco, all right. I mean, it's been a story, I suppose, isn't it? But again, not the most exciting in terms of the way they play. I, I, I like I like my World Cups. I like the big guns coming together. And, and I must admit, um, so I'm hoping it's an Argentina-France final. I'd love to have seen the, the, the Portugal Argentina final, the Messi against Ronaldo final. I like to see that one. Um, but no, I don't like I like underdogs doing well, but not that well, to be honest with you. Um, especially at like Croatia, I do my head in. And, you know, Croatia, that might people say, oh, there's a nation only four million. You've got like five and a half for me. <laughs> we can't seem to even get to these two and then we get to the last four. Mm-hmm. It just shows us up even more how well they're doing in these competitions. But um, do we, I, mean, I, I know it's a bitter, bitter, jealous wee man. <laughs> I know we're recording this. As I say, just before France and, and Morocco play tonight. So, if you're listening to this in the future, you already know the outcome. But do, do we? Are we all in agreement that it, it kind of looks like it's Messi's destiny to win the World Cup? Uh, may, may, yes, but it's not just him. It's the fact that Argentina just—they're made. It's not. That's the point. Like 2010, Maradona was the manager. 
and they were the most attacking the Argentina side you'll ever watch. And they were they were hopeless because they couldn't keep anyone out. And Germany beat them in the quarterfinals. Um, but this team which just made a bunch of tough guys battling for him. They're, they're set up to win for Messi at thirty five years age. So I think they've got a cracking chance. But same with France as well. But he can pick his final unless Morocco uh, able to kind of make a, a a surprise a surprise appearance. But we'll, I'm sure our listeners will probably know more than us by the time they hear this. We'll wait and see what happens there. Well, since the the last Celtic pod we, we did, Mick, um, one of the me I remember you and I were talking about how in Swanee as well we were saying how we fancy Brazil. Now, obviously, Brazil Aye. were sent were sent <laughs> showed what we knew and they were sent plummeting out by Croatia. And man of the match in that game was Josip Juranovic. Um, obviously Celtic right back. He's been in the headlines a lot since that game. William Gallas was one yesterday saying that he's the, forget Neymar, forget Mbappe, Juranovic has been the best player of the tournament for him. I mean, firstly, I mean, is that a bit over the top? And secondly, is, should Celtic cash in now while his stock's so high? Well, I think it's a wee bit over the top in fairness. I think it's a, it's a smashing tournament. As the best in the tournament, I, I, I don't know about that. I think Mbappe and Momessi's get, what, five goals and three assists? I think there's a few ahead of them on that list. Um, had a stormer against Brazil, right enough. Um, I, I think it's inevitable the Celtic are going to cash in now, um, perhaps even in January. <clears throat> Excuse me. Especially now they signed Alistair Johnson as well, and, and Tony Ralston is still there and, and more than capable of playing week in, week out. So I think if, if he is hot and he is looking for a move, me, he's, what is he, 27 now as well? maybe a chance for him to make a big move and, and earn a few quid and earn a club a few quid as well. It, it just seems to be that the, the pieces are all in place now um, for January. And I don't think anyone would, would grudge it. Um, he has a, he's had a great World Cup. Uh, but I think he's a good player anyway. I don't think it's just a kind of, a kind of by chance. He's just a, this came, it's not really came out of nowhere. He's a good player. And I think he will, he will, he will, he will go on and, and do well wherever he ends up. Um, so yeah, I, in terms of what they get for him, I, I I don't think Celtic would get the kind of like 20, 30 million um, pound. I don't think so. Maybe because his age and all that stuff. And I, I, I don't know. Um, I think that's a bit unlikely. Uh, I can understand why people would say, why not? I mean, he's a World Cup semi-finalist and all that stuff. Um, I get that. But I, I still think that, that would be, if they can get, if they get 10 million pound or above, I think they're doing good business. For a fullback that they signed what last summer, the summer before last, sorry, I think that'd be great business, um, and I think they should get that as well, because um, the World Cup does put a premium on them. I think there's no doubt about it. Um, but if they can get twelve million pound for them, that's some bit of business for a guy signed for two and a half million quid, and he did well for the club. I think that'd be good, a good bit of business. No. Um, if they can get more than that, if they get up towards twenty, then then fair play. Um, but I don't think there's any hurry. I think you should sit tight and see what, what comes in. Um, it's not even it's not even January yet, so I don't think they should jump at the first bid because um, you might find there's a there's a few a few clubs interested because it's um he's a very modern fullback he can play a variety of positions uh, very versatile if he plays that fullback well, he can overlap we can underlap we can play inverted as the, as the modern way seems to like he plays a lot of like, country that way as well um, so he has got all that all the attributes um, that that clubs would be looking for so yeah I mean Celtic should, should sit tight. And hopefully there's some kind of bidding war for him, and that pushes up the fee even further. Graham, what do you see his value being? Um, I agree with Mick in the sense, I mean, the top, top tierney money is probably not realistic, just for varying factors. 
Um, but I, th- I think like, the point there at the end, Mick said, he's a very modern fullback. That really rings true, and that's what he is. And scouting as well, we talk about, I'm not, I'm not trying to decry scouts here, but sometimes it is pretty simple what you're looking for in the mod, like, a type of player. So he has played multiple different formations. He's very good at tracking back, decent pace, and he likes to run with the ball. So that's appealing. Every big club in the world know they can't spend 40, 50, 60 million in every position. Juranovic battle-tested with a good Croatia team over the last two or three years. Champions League experience with Celtic. It seems a kind of tailor-made signing and that kind of fits into that 12, 15, 12 to 15 bracket for me. Still got a long time left in his contract. Um, I, he just looks like the type of player. Do you know what kind of player he is? He's the type of player you'd be watching in the pub. Say he played for let's pick another league that's kind of Someone to say, say he played for Genk or Bruges or a team like that, and you go, oh, I wish, wish my team had a player like that. That's the type of guy he is. He's a, a very capable right back that's obviously destined to play in a higher league. Um, and that's that's good for Celtic. And obviously, Ange Postacoglu spoke at the AGM about bracing supporters for big players leaving, and this is what it means. This is it getting guys in two, two and a half million, developing them, playing well, selling on, and then. Um, with added kind of caveat that Alistair Johnson, who I, I thought he was really good, I've got to be honest, I'm really impressed with him at the World Cup, uh, comes in straight after. So I think that kind of price bracket for me is where, uh, and I, I think Celtic will know the, know the value as well. I think they'll know the kind of market the team's shopping. So I think that would be kind of good business for all. I had a bit of a chuckle after the, after, I think it was a pre match, after the game the, in the quarters, done one of these press conference things, and he said, um, Listen, I know I'm not a kind of 20 to 30 million euro player. I'm just yeah. laughing. I thought if it, a, if it was a Celtic press officer in that room, they'd be rugby tackling at that point. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm a wee bit all over the place with this one because, like you were saying there, Graham, I think see if you got 15 million for him, like you were saying as well, Mick, he's done well for the club. <laughs> money, amazing profit. But then, on the other hand, I think, see the modern game, see for a big club, 20 million's a drop in the ocean these days. I don't know if Celtic should maybe, well, this hype around them at the World Cup, should maybe really try and hammer home. He's got a contract till 2026. I don't know if they should really milk it for everything it's worth. Oh, well, listen, totally. If they can get, if they can get, if they say they get 20 million pounds, that'd be sensational business for a oh, football. Uh, listen, Everton signed uh, Nathan Patterson from, from Rangers for a, a fee up to 16 million quid. Aye, true. Aye. But again, that's a young lad with potential who could go on. Um, again, so yeah, I, I take that. I take that point totally. Um, it is the World Cup premium. I'm listening. You can understand why the club would do the business because even 15 million quid, if that means they can go and buy three, five, five million pound players, that's just huge savings for Celtic. The five yeah. million pound player. Yeah. Uh, so it's 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 very much works for for all parties. Listen, I think I said that the last time in the podcast. I don't quite understand the clamour to get me his bags packed out the door because um, I still can't keep hold of them. And I've got a very good player in their hands. But there's less need for it now because they have got... I said, nobody would be worried about Anthony Ralston on a weekly basis playing in Scotland. And I said, the new lad, um, Johnson, does look... He does look the part. Big, strong, a big, strong boy um, who, who could do, who do a job on a weekly basis as well. So uh, uh, it's a good position for Celtic to be in. They've now got three full-backs. One of them is worth a right good few quid in the back of the World Cup. So it's a nice position to be in. You'd imagine, Graham, the fact that uh, Johnson is now his touchdown in Glasgow. He's signed. Celtic are expecting to do business with Juranovic this, uh, in January. Yes. 
Yeah, hundred percent, and that's. But again, but it's almost that like safe in it as well. You've got the fact that Celtic probably have been anticipating, irrespective of the title World Cup, Juranovic had on the back of this. I agree with the point you made, Daniel, in the sense that they probably kind of a wee bit more uh, brinkmanship in terms of as it comes around to negotiating to maybe get a wee bit extra that they maybe initially anticipated. But at the same time, Celtic, I, I don't, I think. It, I, I think it is time to sell because you've got that moment having in time. Who's to say what happens? You're not going to three right backs of that kind of quality. One's not going to be left out of the squad. Seems the right moment. You've brought Alistair Johnson in, and um, again, it touches. So you, but Postecoglou's transfer methods and the way it works. And the first last summer was about getting loads of guys in. Obviously, great eye for a player that what. But now you can really see the not ruthless streak, but that kind of hands off in terms of. Close to players, but not too close, so it doesn't become too difficult to move potentially Juranovic or others on in the future. And that's, I think, that's probably the one thing. Even though Celtic so big in the past, we won Yamad and Belly. This is this the first thing they're probably gone one window, not early, but earlier than expected. So if Juranovic does go, it's, it, it, it definitely shows a new Celtic, the type of Celtic Postecoglou has been talking about about teams like Bruges and. Porto and whoever the teams that consistently qualify for the Champions League and make a, make medium waves anyway that Celtic would like to do in the future. This is what these teams do. They buy players at a small price, sell them on, keep bringing players in, and uh, eventually reap rewards. Uh, they keep progressing. I think that this potential exit is tied completely to that strategy. Uh, Celtic being a bit more ruthless, a bit more uh, cutthroat in terms of dealing uh, transfer dealings, especially outgoings. I think I think Celtic been burned in the past a wee bit. Listen, the transfer business has been, been superb through the years in terms of sales, but they have missed the boat a wee bit with some guys in terms of how much they could have made. When you look back at, I think it was Edward at one point was talking about 25, 30 million quid down south. Missed the boat for that one. Went for less. Chris Iyer this season probably too much as well. I think he went for bigger money. They went a wee bit earlier. Uh, I go back to number Dedrick Boyata. Nine million pound bid getting knocked back, and then it goes oh. for nothing not long after. So they've been burned a few times by holding on to these guys a wee bit too long, and their stock maybe diminishes slightly in terms of the, when they're only getting the contracts are diminishing as well. But if you if you strike while it's hot, if you're confident, I think I think with the manager, Costa Coglu, if you're a player who hints they wants to go elsewhere, you're gone. As far as he's, I get the impression that as soon as you even suggest that to, to the manager, I think that's you done. You're at the door. Mm-hmm. You'll cash in right away. And I don't think I think that's just the mentality he's got. Um, and like, and he has got a view of players that that is that you're. I'm not saying they're disposable, but he's like, right, if you're not wanting to be part of this, you're looking elsewhere. Off you pop, and I'll get somebody else in because he has got total confidence in himself that he can find a player that will will do a job as well. So there isn't the same kind of. I'm not saying stockpiling or, or kind of hoarding players, but in the previous years, I think well, we've got a good one. We need to hold on to them as long as possible to win as much as we can, and then try and sell them at the right time. And they've maybe missed the boat a wee bit. Whereas I think this time it's a case of well, if you want to go somewhere else, then off you pop, we'll sell you, we'll buy somebody else. Mm-hmm. But I think I agree, I agree with everything Mick just said. But I think this is one of these. I'm not saying you're out of your trade. I think he is ambitious. I don't think he's ever made top money in terms of wages. So they've got in ages that he wants to go and do it. Totally get that. But I think there's always got to be that. This, this really suits Celtic to sell as well. Now that's not saying Juranovic won't be keen to try and sell in the top league. But this is a perfect time. For Celtic to sell player age, what he's just come off the back, and it's it, it makes sense for Celtic. Um, it's just a good deal, and then comes to that a guy like Juranovic gets to challenge himself. 
uh, probably in a top league. That's why even the Torino link, I know they play in Serie A, I still feel if you've got these kind of mega clubs interested, even if you're part of the squad like Chelsea, Atletico Madrid, to me that still would prove a bigger temptation. But obviously the next few weeks will tell us everything. Mm-hmm. I definitely, you mentioned there, Graham, Torino today in Record Sport Online have been uh, the latest linked with Juranovic, but I definitely think there will be bigger clubs in for him. Uh, and obviously it'll be, it won't be a boring month, that's for sure. Um, another transfer that's kind of looming uh, in the background, uh, we talked about it in the last pod as well, but Georges Giacomacus, today in record sport, he's been linked with a club in Saudi Arabia. Um, and I know there's obviously been reports that he expected a better deal. I mean, Graham, you went on the last pod, so I'll maybe start with you. Would you would you push the boat out to keep uh, Giacomacus? Um, obviously, we spoke there about the Postecoglou way and how it deals with players and transfers. Yeah, you understand. So that's the general rule. But just as a player, um, I think he's brilliant. Honestly, I think I've spoken a few times, and I know it's it's just the hold up play. That's the thing. Is well. I still think. Giacomacchi's ability to give Celtic that extra dimension even in games he's no scoring I still think he's such a vital commodity to this team so I would obviously be keen but again if Celtic are looking for that profile of striker to potentially replace him that obviously changes the rules in that sense but purely in Giacomacchi's I think when he came in there was this hesitation about his goal record like oh it's almost kind of counterproductive when somebody scores so freely in Holland there's almost like oh is he actually good and they're very quick. I know the first few months were difficult with injuries, but I think as much as the one touch finish and his record on that front, it's actually his other parts of his game that you need to be careful when you say this. But Hearts and Sutton Dembele would probably be the three standout strikers, robust Celtic strikers of the 21st century. And Jack Amakis compares favourably because he's, he really is a handful. He brings, I, I think, the Shakhtar Donetsk game that night, he was the right. They won each game at home. He was the right call to start up front. Kyogo was the one who was um, misplaced. He didn't need to be playing attack midfield. There's probably a better way to arrange the team. But I, I think Postecoglou's team, with all the passing and the movement, I think they get a, an authority when Giacomacchus plays. He brings the Scottish element to their style. They're not just a pass-pass team. Um, and I would, I think, I think it'd be a must-keep. But at the same time, these things move quickly. Celtic got other strikers on the radar. I think maybe similar to Juranovic, I think it could be a thing where get paid top money, understandably. But I think he'd be a waste. I think he'd be someone, a kind of, you know, like after talking him up, say bottom three, bottom four team in England. But there is teams in the lower half English football that to me would be a no-brainer signing. Fits the league. Look at someone like Mitrovic, the goal he scored at the top end of the championship. Bottom end now is doing it for Fulham. I'd, I'd see no reason why a Norton Forest or a Bournemouth or be fair to Bournemouth got a couple of half-decent strikers. But, that's the type of... I, I'm a big fan, always have been. Uh, and I think, yeah, actually, for all Kyogo's ability, I just think Jackie Mack has always brings something different. I think he's a, a vital part of the Celtic team. Given, Mick, what you said there about um, Juranovic and if there's a hint that he wants to go, as there definitely is around Jackie Marcus, do you imagine that a, a partner of the ways is just inevitable now? Uh, it does look that way. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, it does seem, seem to be the case. Um Listen, you get, you get a player who's maybe not that 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 chuffed at not playing every week, and who is what twenty eight, a couple of young kids, hasn't really made much money in the game so far in his career, um, and thinking that he could do with a a, a bumper payday. So I, I I get why Jackie Marcus might be feeling a little bit 
uh, itchy about making a move somewhere. So I get, I get it. Uh, I think I'm, I'm, I tend to agree with Graham. I think he's a, a real asset for Celtic, uh, especially like you say the, the kind of the domestic games. He adds a bit of a different dimension to Celtic. I, I like the way Celtic play when he's in the team, and they tend to get the ball in the box a bit earlier and all that stuff. And uh, I think he's a he is a real asset. Um, I, I can see. Uh, likewise, I think I think he's tailor made for a team like the English Championship, like one like a promotion chasing team that dominates the ball and is, is in a lot of possession. I think he would, he would do a terrific job at that level. Uh, which, by the way, it makes him a very expensive commodity as well. Mm-hmm. Even for that level, you're mean, talking a goal scorer like, like him. Um, if there's a way to keep him happy and keep him at Celtic Park, I think they should try and explore it. I just don't think there might be too much water under the bridge now. I think I don't know if it's maybe a, a, a slight clash with the manager. I don't know. Listen, we don't know what happened behind closed doors. But you get the feeling he's frustrated about not playing every week. I mean, first choice when he scores so many goals. But the way he's to play, that he, he doesn't, he tends to be the kind of second choice. Uh, and he's the one that gets brought in to give Kyogo a wee rest now and again, or if he's injured. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I think it is inevitable. He will, he will, he will maybe make a move now. Um, but I, I think it'd be a mistake. But listen, you can't, you can't change the guy's mind. If that's the way he feels, there's not a lot you can do about it. Like I say, if, if you give that in, indication to the manager, I'm not particularly happy. I get the impression that right, you're off, off you off you go, off you pop, we'll bring somebody else in. Um I just think it, it may, like, he'll end up one of these players that in, in in three or four years' time, people will say, it's just a shame he didn't stay longer. Mm-hmm. I think that he may, he may end up one of those kind of guys that, that, that folk think he was he was actually really good. Um because goal scorers are really hard to find. I mean, I know it's the kind of I mean, big Jackie Marcus, he's not the most kind of um not a lot of finesse with his game. Um and his touch I think is a bit wavered at times and his hold up play could be better. Um, but see if he can hold the see if he can hold up the ball at like Chris Sutton and score the goals. Certainly wouldn't have him. He'd be, he'd be worth about forty million quid. You wouldn't really buy him. Yeah. So he's a bit rugged around the edges, and he's he is he's touched a bit bit wonky now and again. But he does score a ton of goals, and he gives a presence up front. Um, so he's a guy that I think Celtic would miss once he's gone. Um, but if you get a few quid from him, and he's not happy, then I think that's just the way it goes, isn't it? Sometimes. Absolutely. Um... I think moving on from a, a little transfer roundup, um, another big piece of news relating to Celtic that we, we didn't manage to, to get in the last podcast, but I think we should maybe touch on it, um, is the return of Peter Lawwell um, as chairman. Um, obviously really big news, replacing Ian Bank here. Mick, would you, I mean, I, I don't even know what to ask you, but what do you think he'll bring? We know what he'll bring, but I, I don't know. I feel like you get what I'm trying to get. <laughs> Sorry, it's, uh, no, it's not exactly a big surprise. Put that way, um, I'm going to have to edit that. Anyone, I don't think anyone is is, is shocked and stunned that he's he's turned as, as chairman. Um, listen, I think he gets a bit of a raw deal sometimes from fans. Peter Lowe. I mean, I think that the ten in a row season obviously went to pot and didn't didn't work out well for a variety of reasons, and he could have copped a lot of flack for that. But don't forget that he's been in charge as CEO during a time of utter dominance. I mean, 20 years of absolute dominance. I mean, Celtic have pretty much mopped up um, through the whole period. I mean, the last 20 years for Celtic, the trophies have, have, have won. They've never, never had that kind of period of success or had a long period of time in their, in their, in their lives. So I, I think, as you say, you mentioned the transfer business through the years as well and making lots of money. The club's financially secure and all these things. These are all things that are not to be taken for granted. Um, so listen, there's been some mistakes. I think, I think, when you look back over the, especially the kind of nine in a row year, 
uh, years. I think it's an opportunity missed in terms of Europe. I mean, they basically had a free run at the Champions League for, for nine, ten years and, and didn't really capitalise on it. And I think that was the one, maybe one regret from that period. Um, I think three or four appearances in the group stages wasn't enough during that nine, ten year period, especially when that, that Champions route was open to them as well. And I think that was an opportunity missed when you see the teams that, that, that put them out. Uh, through that time, so I get that that frustration. But listen, it's a guy. It's a guy who knows how to run a football club. Who knows what's involved in, in keeping the, the the club stable and secure and, and and wheeling and dealing. And he also has a lot of um, uh, influence in the European stage in terms of the shifting sands of the the European leagues and the the, the Champions League getting rejigged again. He knows that the guys and the press of the flesh with these guys in the corridors of power. So I don't think you can see Lowell as anything other than a big asset for Celtic, really. I mean, the chairman role is, is different to the CEO role. Uh, role. Obviously, you'd think he'll have an influence as well with, um, because he's, he's such a huge character at Celtic. So it's impossible to see him not have an influence in that sphere. Um, but I don't... I, 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 I struggle to find out why that should be a problem. Do you know what I mean, really? Mm-hmm. Um, because he's got that experience and clout and presence that the club have had for 20 years and it's, and it's worked for them. So I don't... I, I, I don't I can sometimes see some of the gripes from fans, but I think some of it's a little bit um, unwarranted. And I think it's a it's a, a, a big figure who can, can still play a, a vital role at the club. I'm by no means Graham saying that he's perfect, Peter Lowell, but I do. I'm a bit like Mick. I, I struggle to see why he gets such a raw deal off off an, an element of the support. Um, I think that's fair. I, the bit I really wanted to pick up on that Mick mentioned there is. The, the European element and, the, and then tying into the fact about the roles difference the chief executive is completely different chairman more like a custodian man down the table and representative of the club and that is basically as much as Peter Lowell's left when he finished his chief executive um, last summer he's been a representative in the ECA board and that's bigger than you could even imagine with the way things have been shifting in the last couple of years. Now, the, the second attempt at the Super League, that's doomed to fail as well. If it wasn't before the the, the news about Juventus, and that's obviously got to rumble on, it probably was before anyway. I think it's I think UEFA feel pretty confident. But his insight and knowledge of the Champions League going is a genuine asset. He's, he, he's got um, an ear a guy like Edwin van der Sar, the two of them are often viewed as the two most powerful kind of decision makers out with the top five leagues at club level. Um, and then you've got the fact that as a different role, he is of without trying to put age on him, he's at an age where it's not a full time, it's more of the chairman as a different role, like Ian Bank here, it's a different set of eyes. I think he can be valuable at the club without a doubt. Without a doubt, he's, he's experienced the time, the length of time he's been at the club. And to be fair, I think with Ange, the level of, not power, but the control. Sales are moving in a different direction and it feels like it's manager-led on the basis of stuff we've spoke about already in the podcast in the sense of uh, a bit more cutthroat in terms of transfers. Where Celtic are trying to go? I think that ties in again. Another point Mick made about the missed opportunity. There's no doubt even Peter Long's biggest backer can deny that Celtic record a no-knockout without a knockout. A knockout stage victory in Europe in 20 years or heading for 20 years is nowhere near good enough. It's an appalling record. But the way Ange is moving, I don't think that I think that's the direction of travel, maybe even past Ange, of um, emulating the kind of clubs they want to be in Europe. And I think that record will change the way things are going. 
Um, and I, I, I think Peter Law will be a valuable voice. I think, and going back to what both you and Mick said, obviously, I think fans have got rights to. That, that, that's what they're there for having complaints. But I think, as you say, especially his element in the European sense, his length of time in the club, I, I think it'd be a bit of a disservice to make it sound like it's some kind of catastrophic move. Far from it, I think it'll be a very uh, important addition to the board in terms of the way Celtic's moving forward. Michael Nicholson as well. That's the thing, like. After Dominic Mackay left, it's all Michael Nicholson. He was the guy who was there before. Well, he's proven, I think, already. I think fans are quite taken by the way Michael Nicholson's doing his business. He's pretty agile. He's pretty modern. Um, it's a different. It's a few different positions with familiar faces. But I think overall, Celtic look in a pretty strong uh, footing, especially with, based off the manager and the people he's working with. So um, I, I kind of tend to agree with the stuff that's already been said. Absolutely. Um, well. Probably finish off this podcast by looking ahead to an actual Celtic fixture, which is refreshing. Um, Saturday, Pataudry. Uh, it'll be a tricky one, Mick, but one to whet the appetite, definitely. And Callum McGregor's back fit as well. It's a fantastic game to, to come back to. I mean, this week, uh, you get Rangers, Hibs, Aberdeen, Celtic, a couple of cracking fixtures at the top of the bill um, to come back to. Um, this could arguably be Celtic, one of Celtic's toughest matches of the season, by the way. At the timing of it, come back after the break. Um, Aberdeen at, at Petodji this season have been terrific I think they've, they've won 6 out of 7 at home mm-hmm. scored the same amount of goals at home as, as Celtic and Rangers a game less as well so they're, they're, they're a formidable side on their own patch this season Aberdeen they've added goals to their game and attacking football um, which in the past they've been kind of criticised for being um, a wee bit negative at times against, against Celtic and Rangers but I think this is a really tough game for Celtic coming back still missing a couple of players obviously uh, from World Cup duty and all that stuff. Um, it's a real dangerous, dangerous match to come back to. Um, so, yeah, it's a venue that, that Celtic have had a couple of crucial... I mean, last season, you look at the kind of staging posts along the way, last season title win, the one in October up there when, when, when Postacoglu was under a wee bit of pressure from, from punters back at that point. I mean, I think at that time, hadn't won a game away from home yet. Uh, a couple of dodgy results here and there. There's question marks about the team's kind of um, mentality under pressure. They go out there and score. I think it was Jota scored late on, didn't he? Ah, it was Jota. They got a two-one win, and that that was viewed. He demised himself. So that was a, that was a real turning point in the season. They never really looked back. Um, then back up there again. I think they not have a two-goal lead that surrendered up there as well, and then come back and win again, kind of fairly late, late on. Um, so they they were two huge victories up to Tottenham, but they were really hard to be dug out. Um, and I think it could be more of the same on Saturday because I think I think um, Aberdeen will think this is a good time to catch Celtic straight after the break when it's uh, it's going to take teams a wee bit of time to find their feet again. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's a real it's a cracker. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I think it's a banker for Celtic, Celtic that's for sure. No, and Graham, we've talked about the World Cup, we love it in that, but it's great to see domestic football back, isn't it? Oh, fantastic! This is a mixed nail days proper sell job there. Do you know? I think Sky missing a trick with. <laughs> I know. Honestly, genuinely, it's Aberdeen. The thing, Derek McInnes is way under way underrated for what he achieved at Aberdeen over the years, right? But fundamentally, towards the end, it was getting a bit stale. Jim Goodwin has managed to really need two strikers, Duke and Miofsky. Don't see many strikers arrive in Scottish football, and they've got two of them. Um, I think Mix nailed it. A cracking game, um, and you're right with Celtic. The fact that off the break, you assume they'll be able to just ready to go again, but it doesn't work like that. First game of the season, Aberdeen Postagoglu was 
um, expecting more from his team. Didn't believe they were at their levels. There's no way you can expect them to be at their levels on uh, Saturday. Uh, but it's that kind of intrigue. But I think what suits Celtic, it's going to be really difficult, but what suits them is the fact this is probably the most attack-minded team they'll face out with Rangers in probably the last three, four years. And they're really, like, not gung-ho, but they, they really go for it. Aberdeen, they're not going to take a backward step. Um, and uh, the two strikers are really good, especially Lopez. That's the kind of player who probably... Due to his record at Benfica, came through with Jota, but he's going to play at a really high level. He's he's really, really good. And uh, I know Miofsky gets a good name as well, of course, but everything I've seen at Duke so far, I've been really, really impressed. So, I think cracking game at the weekend. And uh, Swanee had a good piece during the week there. I thought about Matt O'Reilly and just about how he's kind of primed for goals again. I think if he goes out of position on Saturday, I just fancy O'Reilly to kind of big say. So, I think it'll be similar to two games last year. A couple of a goal here or there, but I think it'll be Celtic will get it, um, and it's just an absolute, absolute cracker. It'll be very good. Aye, absolutely. Well, the game's on Saturday, and we will be back next week with another record Celtic podcast, pouring over the result. Um, Mick Graham, it's always a pleasure. Thanks very much for joining us. Good stuff, guys. All the best. Pleasure, Dan. And we will be back next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>